So Monday night, I was doing some preparation for my men's Bible study. We were going to meet Tuesday morning. And if you would have asked me while I was preparing what I was doing, I would have said what I just said. I'm having a Bible study Tuesday morning with some men, and so I'm getting my thoughts together. Now, if you would have said to me, are you sure? After looking at you probably kind of strange, I would have said, yes, that's why I'm doing this. I'm sure that is what we're doing. Fast forward 10 hours to 6.15 while I'm looking out the window and the entire world is swirling around me and trees are falling and chairs are being thrown into ponds and screened in porches, the screens are flying off. I thought, maybe I wasn't so sure after all. Though I was sure, being human, we know that word almost always has an asterisk attached to it. In reality, every time we put an appointment on the calendar, it is to a large degree an act of faith. Because there are a thousand unforeseen things that could erase it. Because we aren't ultimately in control. We can make plans, but we cannot be sure. That's why the Apostle James says, be careful when you say I'm going to go to such and such a place for a year and do such and such business. Be very careful. What you should say is if the Lord wills, (laughs) you will do that because you have no clue what tomorrow will bring. This goes for even the things we buy. What else do they immediately try to sell us with the thing? Insurance. Insurance. So you can feel a little more sure when life breaks. You can be sure still a little bit when what you were sure of doesn't happen. The truth is, as humans in this beautiful but fallen world, there are a few, there are a few things that we can be sure of. And that's why the very beginning of this text today should stop us in our tracks and receive our full attention. We read again Three through eight, we did three and four last week, so we'll be primarily in verses five through seven today. And the first five words are very rare for us. Paul writes this, I am sure of this. When the Holy Spirit of God inspires a man to write those words, we would do well to listen very closely because we are about to get an anchor for our souls amidst a turbulent ocean all around us. And as we'll see, not only is Paul going to give us something sure to take hold of, I am sure of this, but what we will see is that what Paul is sure of just happens to be the most important thing in life. So yes, we would do well to lean in and listen closely. Today we continue on in our fourth week in the book of Philippians. This was a letter that was penned from a Roman prison by the Apostle Paul. Paul was imprisoned for proclaiming the gospel. And he knows his very life is hanging in the balance. He talks openly about his perhaps impending death to come. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And as it 
turns out Paul would ultimately die in Rome under the terror of Nero. The Apostle Paul was beheaded in the city that he's imprisoned in right now. So he's worth listening to. Blaise Pascal once wrote, I believe those witnesses who get their throats cut. And understanding this context is what makes Philippians such a remarkable letter. Because as we saw last week in verses 3 through 5, the banner over this book, the message that, that soars through its pages like wind through the forest, is joy and gratitude and peace. Even when life is hardest. Why? For Paul. It's because the presence of Jesus Christ was so much more powerful to him than any circumstance. As we've talked about in the first week, he he called it a secret that he discovered. Well, I, I want myself, I want us to continue to learn that secret. I want us to be a people like this. A people whose inner world is not held hostage by circumstance. Who bask in the goodness of God, even in the valley. Who more and more, day by day, face hard things with a song in our hearts and a smile on our face. Who refuse to become cynical because we know Christ wins. To live is Christ, to die is gain. We are Christ's. And Christ is God's. And if God is for us, what in the world could come against us? So let's turn now again to Philippians chapter 1. We don't have the words on the screens here at Pilgrim Hill, and that's by design because I want you to have your Bible. So so bring your Bibles, hard copy, preferably. I want you to be looking in it. I want us to be people of the book will again primarily be in verses actually six and seven today, but I'll reread the verses from last week so that we can kind of be swimming in the flow of thought. Context is essential always. Verse three of Philippians one again, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And now continuing on in verse six, here we find our words. And I am sure of this. And what is he sure of? I am sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. At the day of Jesus Christ. This is an immensely important and precious verse. And it deserves our careful attention because there are several things going on here. And if this is something that we can be sure of, we want to get our arms securely around it. So thinking through this now, what is Paul sure of? Well, the first thing he says that he he is sure of the completion of a good work. I am am sure of this, that he who began a good work. So being thoughtful readers, we have to ask, so what is this good work? 
In the context, he had just said, you make my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. So underline that in your mind from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So the good work that they are doing is the partnership with Paul in the gospel. That's what the good work connects to here in the stream of thought. And partnership in the gospel, as we saw last week, refers to investing financially in Paul's missionary endeavors. Paul is going around the Gentile world, pouring out himself and his resources to spread the gospel and Ministry takes money. You need boats. You need food. So the Philippians have been faithful partners with him in the gospel. Again, that's, that's evangelizing the Gentiles. The Gentiles are the, are the non-Jews. And we're very happy at Pilgrim Hill that he did this because probably 95% of us, that's our spiritual heritage. Remember, again, Philippians was the first European church. So we have a very vested interest in the Philippians' investment in Paul. And people, if they're responsible, they want to know that their money or their investment is producing a good return. And that's totally natural. And that's that's good. So Paul wants the Philippians to know that they have made a good investment. That they can be sure will pay. Not just temporary dividends, but eternal dividends. That's why he puts that before them. You'll see a return at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul uses that language, day of Jesus Christ or day of Christ, three times. In Philippians, that deserves greater treatment than we have space to here, but we will, at another time, dive more into that phrase. So all of this here, This is the same principle that Jesus gave us in the Gospels when he talked about storing up treasure in heaven. Paul wants them to be thinking with eternal dividends in mind. Now, as Christian Americans who live in Amazon Prime land, this is a good and needed calibration for us. Namely, the reminder to live and give both financially and of our whole self, with our eyes on the eternal horizon. We need to be reminded of this constantly. Sure, it's incredible that we live in a time where I can click a button and have anything delivered to our home in less than 24 hours, but this comes with a huge spiritual liability if we aren't very wise and very careful. First, It feeds entitlement and discontentment. That's another sermon for another time, not in the immediate context, but it's true. But more appropriate to our our context in Philippians 1 is it can keep us from thinking in terms of eternity. We're being so programmed to think in terms of quick satisfaction and immediate feedback and instant stuff all the time that we can forget that our king wants us to invest ourselves into the stuff of eternity. Now, Paul is encouraging the Philippians to remember, you can't Amazon Prime gospel fruits. 
trust the process, you will see a return on your investment at the day of Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we must fight to keep an eternal perspective in an Amazon world. I'm not anti-Amazon. I have an account, even Prime. But I think hopefully you get the point there. Laura and I read through the Bible each year using the McShane reading plan, which I, I commend. It gives you an Old Testament and a New Testament reading and a psalm and a proverb each day. That's the McShane reading plan. And we were in John 4 earlier this week. And in this chapter, Jesus puts his finger on what Paul is getting at here in Philippians 1. <clears throat> so for context, this comes right after Jesus' intera- uh, interaction with the woman at the well. His disciples had gone off to look for food, and then they, they came back. And while they were gone, Jesus had a marvelous, eternity-changing talk with a Samaritan woman. So this is scandalous. In John 4, I'm going to pick up in verse 31. It says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So the disciples said to one one another, "Has, has someone like given him a snack? Has someone given him something to eat that we didn't see? And Jesus said to them, no, (laughs) my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then will come a harvest? But look, I tell you, lift up your eyes even now and see the fields are already white for a harvest. They're in Samaria, so there's no way we're reaping any eternal fruit in Samaria. Or are we now? This is exciting. And then Jesus goes on in verse 36. I love this verse. He says, already, the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. Do you know that you can gather fruit for eternal life? He goes on, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. There are so many things I'd love to point out about these verses, but this is not our sermon text. So I just want to highlight one thing. The disciples offer Christ food, an immediate satisfaction for a legitimate need. But Jesus uses it as an opportunity to teach about a truer satisfaction that is possible i.e. food that they don't know about. And what is this food? What is this truer satisfaction? It's to accomplish the will of his father. And what is his father in the business of doing? Gathering fruit for eternal life, which will lead to a far better joy than a sandwich or anything else you could purchase on this world. Now, again, in this Philippian context, Paul is talking primarily about money. So, yes, of course, let us be faithful stewards of our resources at Pilgrim Hill. Let's give generously to God through the church. Let's give to the needs of the saints in our lives. Let's invest in Christian schools we trust. Let's support Christian ministries that are doing good work. Let's support missionaries like the Stanleys who are going to Iceland. 
Absolutely, yes and amen. We ought to partner in the gospel in that way. But as we see in John, the the principle applies to so much more than just our money here. Jesus says, we are to survey the landscape of our entire life, seeing the people God has providentially put in our path and realize that there are countless opportunities through the gospel, through the Holy Spirit in you, to be used of God to change someone's eternal trajectory. That's remarkable. At the end of The Weight of Glory, a sermon that uh, C.S. Lewis preached, he has an amazing bit about how you have never met a mere mortal. You've met one of two things. You've met either someone who will be an eternal splendor that if you could see them now, you'd be tempted to worship. Or an everlasting horror that you would only meet in the worst nightmare. Those are the only two people you ever meet And he goes on to make the point, and God has ordained that you have a role in shaping that trajectory. Let's pray every morning, Pilgrim Hill. Lord, I want to give myself today to what will yield fruit at the day of Christ. We need wisdom to even know what that means. And sometimes we think of of mission or of ministry as adding something to our schedule, but I would submit that more often than not, ministry or mission is sanctifying the schedule that you already have. It's not so much adding something to your schedule, but Sunday nights looking at the next week and then praying, Lord, I only see the temporary here But I know there's a thousand eternal moments if I could have eyes to see them through the Spirit. Like Jesus saw the woman at the well that the disciples totally missed. And I'd like to say a word to mothers, especially with it being Mother's Day. I want you to know that the work you do is, if not the most, some of the most important work in the entire galaxy. And for those who do your work primarily, your work primarily in the home. We don't have any just stay-at-home moms. I work at at home. (laughs) Do not buy the culture's lie that you have settled for less. Managing a home, caring for and educating children, nourishing the souls under your care is contributing to the eternal harvest in an indispensable way. So we cherish all of you mothers Being a mother is not easy, and it is often a thankless work, especially if you have a vibrating brood of younger children, flailing bundles of need all the time. Not a lot of thank yous. You have the applause of heaven, though. All the time. God knows. And don't take my word for it. It all matters whether you're cleaning up milk or cleaning the kitchen again or doing another load of laundry, it all matters when it's done in faith, because Jesus said on the final day, how will some of the saints be recognized as saints? Those who gave a cup of cold water in my name. That's how it's so clear to me that these are saints. Of course, we're not justified by cups of cold water. Cups of cold water in my name. Faithful living because Christ is your Lord is what he is talking about, which manifests through your hands. 
every dirty diaper. Another service entered to the king that keeps the kingdom moving forward. Mothers, you are absolutely cherished. And we praise God for the feminine glory that you bring to our homes and to our church. It is good work that will reach completion at the day of Christ. Well, <clears throat> the Philippians had their eyes on eternity. And so they were partnering with Paul in spreading the gospel. And the apostle wants them to, to, to stay motivated, right? I read it, recently heard, perhaps it was George Grant, saying, battles don't stay won. So even when we're encouraged, we need to constantly be encouraged. It's not like, okay, good, you're encouraged in the faith. Next 10 years, you're good to go. No, next 10 minutes, I need another wind in my sail. So he wants to motivate them to stay encouraged. He says, know your investment will come to completion on the final day. It matters. And Paul says he is sure of it. But the question we must ask, right? So as we read scripture, we want to be pounding it with questions. Why did you say that, Paul? He says he's sure of it. Why are you sure of it? How can you be so sure, Paul, that one, the Philippians will stay faithful, and two, that their good work will reach completion into eternity? Well, let's reread verse 6, and perhaps we'll find the answer there. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you. He will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is huge. Why is he sure that their partnership will reach completion? Answer. Because their partnership in the gospel was not their doing ultimately. It was and is, will be God's doing. You see that in the text? We kind of just flipped it up on us. I thank God for your partnership, and I'm convinced that he who started it will bring it to completion. The Philippians' salvation, in which their hearts of stone were replaced with hearts of flesh, was a sovereign, unilateral act of a gracious God whose purposes cannot and will not fail. Why were the Philippians receptive to the gospel? Because they were clever enough? Because they finally got all of their intellectual obstacles answered? Emphatically, no. It was because God decided to save them. And the same is true for you, Christian. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have felt the terrible burden of your sins, and if you have trembled beneath the thought of having to stand before a holy God one day, which every one of us will, and if you then had ears to hear the gospel, that Jesus Christ offers to give you his righteousness in exchange for your sin, so that when the Father looks upon you, he sees the righteousness of his Son, if that happened to you, then you were saved, and it is a total gift of grace. God is the reason 
that we saw Christ for who he is. And God is the reason we will continue to believe in Christ. And God is the lifter of our heads back to Christ when we are faint-hearted. And God is the reason you have new desires to bear good fruit through the Holy Spirit. And yes, we are then called to do good works, but we must first have it absolutely settled that that has nothing to do with earning your salvation. Good works have nothing to do with earning our salvation. This is the reason Ephesians 2 exists, beginning in verse 8. Because God knows that we are so bent on earning and trying to prove that we're worthy. So he wrote this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. This is the gift of God. It's not a result of works. So that no one may boast. We bring nothing to our salvation except our sin. And then we just believe. We believe in Christ. We trust Christ. No amount of good works can earn salvation, but according to the scriptures, they do evidence it. So continuing on in that Ephesians text, you've been saved by grace and you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that overlays so perfectly with what we see in Philippians. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So Christian, you can't be sure of much in this world, but you can be sure of the most important thing, which makes every other uncertainty very small in comparison. You can be sure that God is faithful and that he is sovereign over your salvation You being saved was his doing, and now he has called you to good works. And you can be sure, like we see in this Philippians text, that he will remain sovereign over every step of your life. This makes uncertainty small because nothing is uncertain to God. Every inch of your life was etched in eternity past by the wise and good hand of your heavenly father. And that's good news. Okay. Let's continue on in the passage now. Paul builds up their faith in this unstoppable gospel, saying this, and this is verse 7. He says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I, I hold you in my heart, for you're all partakers with me of grace. And now he's going to highlight two specific ways that they experienced extraordinary grace with him. So he says, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So we'll look at both of those briefly here. Now, how would they have partaken of grace in Paul's imprisonment? Well, if you recall, the Philippian church started when Paul was singing at midnight in prison. Remember, the earthquake happened and then the Philippian jailer and his household got saved and baptized And he doesn't ever want them to forget how remarkable the God's grace was to them in that time. Because it's so easy to forget. 
the grace of God. And, and this is one of the gifts of having Christian friendships that span over the years. Because it's so faith-building to remember the grace that we've shared together. To remind each other of the way that God met us so powerfully and so clearly so many times. So Paul's saying, you are partakers of me in grace, in my imprisonment. So do you, do you remember that, Philippians? Don't ever forget that, Philippians. God made it so clear. Don't forget in the dark what was so clear in the light. That's one thing he's saying. And then he goes on to say that they had partaken of grace in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So what's he getting at here? And this we'll look at in conclusion. I believe it's this. The Philippians know the gospel is true because all the powers of the known world were coming against it to try to squash it, but nothing could. Because it really was the movement of God. Think about this. It started out as a small movement of 12 mostly uneducated men with the entire world against them. The Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish rulers, crucified Jesus to try to put a stop to this. And then they started to persecute the apostles. And Rome, the political juggernaut, was against it, making threats imprisoning the apostles, throwing Christians into gladiatorial arenas and having them torn apart by animals as a deterrent. And nothing could stop it because Jesus really is the son of God. And Jesus really did rise and he really is king. And Paul wants them to continue to establish their confidence in the faith. You know this is true. You've seen it in my imprisonment when the walls fell when I sang. And you've seen the gospel put to the test from 10,000 angles, and it was confirmed every single time. Philippians, don't you ever forget of the grace that we partook of, of having the gospel power made so clear. And for us today, how much more reason do we have for confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ? It was impressive enough that it had survived 30 years at this point as the Philippians were reading the letter. But for us, the gospel of Jesus Christ has withstood 2,000 years. Empires have come and gone, and countless revolutionary wars have been fought, and religious fads have flared up and burned out. And through it all, the gospel of Jesus Christ has not just remained, but it has quested out further and further, just like he said it would. Because... It is true. The gospel of Jesus Christ is true and it's indestructible. And this is part of the grace that we partake of. The defense and the confirmation of the gospel for 2,000 years. And not just this. But we've also had it confirmed in our lives personally. Have we not? 10,000 prayers answered. 10,000 comforts from Christ himself. And a great cloud of witnesses all against us, nodding in agreement, saying Christ is true. And all of this proves that he who began a good work in Philippi and in us is reliable and is trustworthy and is sturdy. 
I say to you, Pilgrim Hill, trust Christ again. He is so trustworthy. He will see your faith through to completion. He will bring eternal fruit from every faithful act. And friends, this is why worship here is such a vital part of our liturgy of life. Prioritize the gathering of the saints because, as I said earlier, the battle's hard and we come in battle-weary. And we need to be built up together. The Lord strengthens us and he treats our wounds with the balm of the gospel and then he bids us out for six more days. You're battle-ready now. Get after it. So let us go with great confidence and great joy this week in service to our King, the one who is sovereign over both our salvation and our steps. May it be. And all God's people said, Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you that you chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world. Father, I pray that that would break over us and and seep into our hearts in a new way even tonight. Father, may it be that the gospel never becomes ordinary at Pilgrim Hill, but we marvel at it often. And Father, I pray if there's any here tonight who have never trusted in the Son, that you would awaken them and you would open their eyes to see Jesus Christ in all of his reigning glory, as your word says. And when the disciples asked the Lord how they ought to pray, he responded to them saying, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.